Hello, sports fans, and welcome to Let Me Speak, the show that shares sports' biggest headlines explained, uninterrupted, and maybe a little audacious. I'm Joe Braverman, and today's topics we'll be discussing are... With teams punching their ticket, which NBA playoff team has performed the best so far? Plus, expectations ahead of this weekend's NFL Draft. And... How the NHL playoffs could change with Alex Ovechkin's recent injury. It's episode 70 of Let Me Speak, and it starts right now. How's it going, everybody? Here on Thursday, April 28th, 2022, the 70th episode. Can't believe we're already 70 episodes in of Let Me Speak. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in. If you are a new listener or if you are just joining the podcast, we are 70 episodes in, and it's been a lot of fun. Let me tell you about that. Ever since we launched this thing in November, everyone who's been listening since then, you know, a lot of twists and turns, ups and downs, but here we are. We made it this far. Um, so we're going to keep it going and hopefully we get a few more in there. Hopefully we get 70 more. Uh, we, we get to that. Um, I am going to apologize really quickly. If it does look like I'm a little bit groggy, a little bit tired, just came off an overnight shift, only been up for about, you know, maybe 45 minutes. I would say, uh, when you're doing a midnight to 6am, you know, you got to make sure, you know, take some time to get back. Then you got to eat obviously because you don't want to miss breakfast and then you go right back to sleep. Uh, to really regain it. But so far, so good over at WEEI. Uh, of course, you can mention your comments or uh, provide me any messages uh, on our social media pages, which we always provide at the end of our show. But this week is very, very exciting because it's a jam-packed week. You got the NFL draft, you got the NHL playoffs coming up, MLB is in full swing, and then, of course, the NBA playoffs which is how we're going to start this episode. And so far in the first round, I would say kind of lackluster in terms of like what we sort of expected. You know, some series hadn't gone as long as we thought, but there are still some like interesting, you know, notes and storylines out there. And from my early, just quick knowledge, uh, there are three series that are left uh, to be played and they all could end by tonight. Um, So we'll just break it down again, series by series. Uh, But then again, the overarching question is what we will get to. And I think, again, we're going to start in the East and start with that number one seed, Miami. The Heat finishing off the Hawks in five games. And I was very surprised that it, that uh, Miami was able to pull off uh, the victory on Tuesday, clinching in that game five, uh, 97-94, because there was no Kyle Lowry, there was no Jimmy Butler. Uh, But it's always nice when you have a guy like Victor Oladipo, who, it seems like we're was totally out of the rotation. You bring him on with two of your top guys out. He throws in 23 points and you get a nice time to rest before the second round before you play either Philly or Toronto. And that just shows how deep Miami really is. And I think, you know, while everyone talks about the Celtics defense being the tops in the league, I think Miami has to be a close second because again, like I said last week, the way they've been attacking Trey Young and that whole Atlanta team, I mean, they made a guy like Trey Young look totally pedestrian in that series. So I think that's been totally overlooked. Just looking at the numbers real quick that Trey Young has, he averaged 15 and a half points per game in this series. This is a guy who normally averages like 25 or something like that. He only shot 32% from the field and 18% from three. That's unbelievable. Then, of course, he averaged six assists and five rebounds. But the way that they made Trey Young look absolutely human, unreal, unreal. And I know everyone's been overlooking Miami pretty much all season long just because of how consistent they've been and all the other big storylines that have happened in the NBA. But it would not surprise me at all to see Miami get back to the NBA final. Because like I mentioned, this is a team still with championship history. Most of their core uh, from that bubble season Uh, is still there. So, I mean, even with the injuries to Lowry and Jimmy Butler, 
you got guys like Victor Oladipo coming through, uh, the unsung guys I mentioned, Struess and Vincent. Then you've got Robinson and Hero. Uh, obviously, just the depth that this team has. And, of course, you can't forget Bam out of bio. I know everyone's going to comment on me. Why didn't you throw Bam in there? Bam is one of the top centers that this game has right now. So the way that this team is constructed, what Eric Spolster has done, I think deserves a lot of credit. And I think they're the number one seed for a reason, just because of the way they played. Now, when they go into the second round, though, my question is, you know, offensively, will they continue this kind of surge? You know, was Jimmy Butler going to be healthy enough? Is Kyle Lowry going to be healthy enough? Because, I mean, if you're playing either Philly or Toronto, I think that poses uh, a bigger threat uh, compared to Atlanta, just because Atlanta was, you know, very inconsistent, not really that healthy. Um, they didn't have, you know, their top. They didn't have uh, Bogdan Bogdanovich, who was one of their uh, top offensive weapons. Then, of course, John Collins was out for most of the series. So I think it's a tougher test for Miami. I still would favor them, depending on who they play. If it's the Sixers or the Raptors, I still would favor them. Uh, I would just want to hear more about um, – the injury situation and how healthy this team is going to be uh, when they get into the second round and if they want to go even further. So props to the Heat for finishing him uh, finishing the Hawks off. I mean, you took out the runner-ups in the Eastern Conference, you know. This was a team that went to the Eastern Conference Finals a year ago. So that's impressive no matter who it is. So props to Miami for that one. But the other team that was right behind them at number one was the number two seed, and that's the Celtics. They defy all expectations and sweep the preseason title favorites. You go back into the odds, Vegas odds, surveys, anything like that. The Brooklyn Nets were the team picked to go to the NBA Finals and even win the NBA Finals. Now what happens? They fall to the seventh seed, they win a playing game, and then they get swept by the Boston Celtics, a team they absolutely wiped the floor with a year ago uh, in five games. So, I mean, we'll talk about the Celtics side when we get into our Let's Get Local segment, but my goodness, Brooklyn is the story. Brooklyn is the story, and considering how this season started and how it ended, it just looked like this season was doomed. I mean, when you had Kyrie only being a part-time player, or no, he was even out. He was out entirely, and then eventually they brought him in. Then you had KD with his injury uh, back in January. The situation with James Harden wanting out. He basically didn't play. And then Ben Simmons, the situation not even playing, um, which, by the way, that's a story within itself, which we'll talk probably a lot in the future. But it's kind of a joke where you hear all these rumors of, oh, game four, game four, game four, game four. And then all of a sudden, the next morning after the Celtics have an incredible Game 3 performance to beat Brooklyn, uh, he all of a sudden wakes up and he's like, eh, my back's a little sore. I don't think I'm going to play. So there's just so many controversies with this Nets team. I mean, you can't blame everything, though, on Steve Nash. Because, I mean, throughout the series, he tried anything and everything. I mean, for goodness sake, Blake Griffin was getting significant minutes in game four and granted he did play well, but the fact that Blake Griffin, Blake Griffin, who was basically out of the rotation pretty much since February, all of a sudden you bring him in and you want him playing significant minutes at your five spot at your center spot. I mean, come on, that just tells you the story within itself. And obviously Steve Nash does get partial blame just because of the play situation. It felt like most in that series, you know, credit to the Celtics defense for making uh, the Nets feel that way but the fact is there was a ton of isolation play it was just give the ball to Durant give the ball to Irving and hope they can make a play um, you would have thought there'd be a little bit more play calling with that but then again you know you have the rest of the roster the way it's constructed outside of Durant and outside of Irving who else do you have you know Bruce Brown played good Seth Curry played good but really outside of that, yeah, Nick's, Nick Claxton, who's a good center, but he's a liability at the free throw line. Uh, you got other guys coming off the bench. I mean, Goran Dragic played great. But again, they can't bring all these guys back. You know, not all these guys are going to be a factor for Brooklyn. So I don't know where they go now. I mean, obviously, you have multiple free agents. You've got Kyrie Irving, who thinks or who has intentions of staying. He's already 
declaring himself as member of management. Um, but obviously he's going to get a contract extension. You know, he could opt in or he could opt out. He could be looking at a 50 million a year guy, which you also have to take into account the salary cap as well. Unless you got a bunch of free agents um, who want to say, yeah, I'll take a discount here. I don't know if they're going to do that. Cause I mean, I think Bruce Brown is looking for a payday. Um, I think, you know, what's your center position essentially? Cause Claxton, Drummond, Griffin, they're all free agents. What are you going to do there? What are you going to do there? So I'm very interested to see what happens in the off season uh, for the Brooklyn side of things, but Hey, credit to the Celtics for playing very well defensively and taking uh, the nets out of them. But Speaking of the Celtics, we know their second round opponent. It's going to be the Milwaukee Bucks, the defending champs, taking care of the Bulls last night in five games, setting up what's going to be, I think, a very entertaining series. Um, But before a quick preview into that, I just think Milwaukee, it was kind of funny. It, It felt like once Levine went into the protocols, it was almost kind of like, you know what? It's over. We know Milwaukee's getting out of this. And I think a lot of people expected Milwaukee to get out of the series uh, in general, but it was a lot more entertaining. um, I thought than people thought, I mean, credit to DeMar DeRozan and that whole bulls team. I mean, this was a team that was at the top of the conference when healthy, then injuries came about. They didn't have Lonzo ball. As I mentioned, no Levine, no Caruso. Um, The the fight that the bulls put up, I think is signals a lot of good things for the future. I think the bulls are going to be around for, years to come and I think when healthy they're going to be a very very good team I think for a couple of years especially if they can get Zach Levine re-signed and get him a big payday you put him in there with the roster construction that they have now I think they're going to be a good team especially if you pair Levine up with DeRozan Patrick Williams Vucevic Um, I think this is a very good Bulls team that you know I have I have faith that they're going to be a playoff contender Uh, for years to come if they continue to have this core and this rotation but back to the Bucks side of things obviously you got Giannis doing Giannis things Um, very surprised to see Grayson Allen perform well Um, you know the way he was able to shoot the ball six of seven from three in that I think it was game four uh, that he had in there Um, but of course Chris Middleton that's a big story for Milwaukee that knee sprain he's out a few weeks There's some reports saying he might miss the entire series or he might even miss the conference finals. If they get that far, I think that's huge because Middleton is your second best player uh, with all due respect to drew holiday. He's your second best player besides Giannis. Um, So that kind of helps the Celtics in terms of defensively. But I think the overarching uh, question for uh, this series is how well is Boston going to defend Giannis because we saw how well they uh, affected Kevin Durant and how they were able to shut him down you know do they do the same thing with Giannis obviously Giannis isn't the same outside shooter that Durant is so you can kind of give him a little bit of space but I expect Giannis to maybe attack the basket a little bit more and I think the series is going to depend on the outside shooting I think those are the two things how well Boston defends Giannis and how well the outside shooters uh, can play for the Bucks when you get guys like Brooke Lopez, Pat Connaughton, Drew Holiday, Grayson Allen, all those guys. Are they going to be able to make those outside shots like they did uh, in this previous series? I think the Celtics are the best defensive team still left in the NBA. They've been that uh, way pretty much since the calendar year in 2022. What is the defensive strategy for this Bucks team? Because it's completely different um, team compared to the Nets. Obviously, Giannis. I think is better than uh, Durant, at at least on this season. Obviously, he's an MVP candidate, could win the MVP. Um, And the way he's able to drive the basket, finish inside, you know, how are those bigs of the Celtics going to defend him? Or is Jason Tatum going to step up and say, I did Durant, let me do uh, Giannis, or even Grant Williams, a team like that. But, you know, that series starts on Sunday, and I expect it to go six or seven games. I think this is going to be a very lengthy series between these two i'm really looking forward to it but we're still looking forward to who's going to face miami in the other semifinal matchup because it looked like a sure thing with philly being up 3-0 now it's a 3-2 series in toronto tonight is game six and of course everyone's going to go back to doc rivers you know no team has ever come back from 3-0 but multiple teams have come back from 3-1 and the 
the recent, you know, stretch of 3-1 comebacks has had Doc Rivers' fingerprints on it. And, of course, you heard him in the press conference being so, you know, defending his record. But let's talk about, you know, this team, this Philly team. I did not think that Joel Embiid's thumb injury was going to be this hindering. I mean, when you look at the back-to-back losses that they've had, he's put up 21-8 and and 20-11. and And I think the problem that Philly has is just no one has been able to pick up his slack. You know, Tyrese Maxey had a good game one, but other than that, he's kind of been pedestrian. Obviously, James Harden has been lacking this entire postseason. And then Tobias Harris has just been there. Danny Green has been there. So if they continue to play like this, even if they can get out of the series with Toronto, I don't think they can go deep. I could honestly see like a four or five game exit uh, against Miami, the way that the Heat have been playing. And of course, obviously, James Harden is the next story, you know, because obviously Joel Embiid's going to have that thumb injury and it's going to affect his shooting. So, you know, you can't see guys like James Harden only putting up 37% on his shots. And sadly, the narrative is becoming for James Harden. The fact that he just can't step up in the playoffs, you know, he can't take that extra step to really put on a charge. I mean, this was a guy that didn't hit a single three uh, against Golden State when that was probably his best opportunity to get to the NBA Finals or even win an NBA championship. Now you're seeing it. Uh, this year, you know, you saw it last year with Brooklyn, the, you know, his hamstring injury was, you know, a factor in that, but, you know, pretty much since he's gotten to Philly, he hasn't been the same player. So I don't know what's going on with James Harden. He's got to be playing better than this. I do think eventually they get out of this, uh, Toronto series. I honestly could see him wrapping it up tonight. Um, but the Raptors are just a tough team. They are a very tough team, even without, Fred Van Vliet on the floor, you know, their leading scorer. Just the, all the, you know, there are not pieces that just stand out to you. You know, obviously you got Pascal Siakam as your lead guy. But other than that, I mean, you got Scotty Barnes playing well. Precious Achua has been playing really well. Gary Trent. I mean, this is just a really good team. And, you know, again, another team that kind of got overlooked. They finished the postseason or uh, the regular season, I should say, really, really strong. You know, they went all the way from the playing situation to getting to the number five spot. So I gave credit to Toronto for hanging in there, but I just don't think it's going to be enough. And I eventually see Philly coming out of this series because let's be honest, there's, you know, Toronto's good, but I don't think they're that good, you know, and even if they get out of this, I think it's a, it's a quick exit, you know, it's a quick exit for uh, whoever comes out of that series and whoever's got to play Miami, but That's what's going on in the East. What about in the West? I mean, let's talk Phoenix, New Orleans. That, again, as I said last week, it's all of a sudden gotten very, very interesting. Uh, But the Suns obviously coming up big, like we know Chris Paul to do, taking that 3-2 lead over New Orleans with Game 6 tonight. Phoenix with a chance to get into that second round. And as I said, Chris Paul doing CP3 things, stepping up when he needs to, 22-11 and in Game 5. But then the complimentary pieces, again, it it's really throughout the regular season, these complimentary pieces don't really get looked at as much. But you see guys like Mikhail Bridges and Cam Johnson and um uh all these all these other guys. And you know, now in the postseason when they need it the most, they're making those shots, they're making those plays. I mean, Bridges is not gonna put up a 30 piece every single time. Um, but He's still going to be an effective player on the court for the Phoenix Suns. So I think they will win game six tonight. And if they don't, I expect them to win game seven because Chris Paul is not going to let his team do that. And there are reports that Devin Booker could come back in game six. And if he doesn't, there's a chance he could play in game seven. So when you have Devin Booker on the floor, sorry, just bang the mic there. It's a wrap. It's a wrap for this Phoenix team. Just wipe your hands clean. You get Booker, Aiton, Paul all on the floor. It's done. New Orleans doesn't have a chance, but it all comes down defensively to how well they play uh, Ingram and McCollum. You know, you can let one of them go off, but it's the second one you really got to limit and try and die down. So we'll see what happens tonight in game six. But another game six going on tonight is Memphis, Minnesota. Probably in my eyes, the most entertaining series of the playoffs so far with uh, no disrespect to uh, Boston and Brooklyn. But Come on, the way these two teams have gone back and forth, 
the multiple comebacks by the Grizzlies, especially in that game five when Jaw had an absolute poster, maybe the dunk of the playoffs the last three or four years, you know, coming back from an 11 point fourth quarter deficit. And then the game winner for Ja uh, on that layup. I mean, wow. It's, it's one of those series where you have no idea who has the edge. You know, you could justify tonight's game six for Memphis or Minnesota winning. You know, I do like Minnesota to win on their home court, but then game seven, I like Memphis to come out. The, the problem I see is just, you know, when it comes down to the big time shots, obviously Ja is that guy. But who else offensively is going to be that guy? Because I think defensively, they've been 50-50, but they're getting better. And then obviously Minnesota has all these weapons like Towns and Anthony Edwards and D'Lo. How well do they defend against those guys? I think it'll be a really interesting story to see what happens this weekend when the series comes to an end. And if either Memphis or Minnesota can get out of that, because it's not going to be an easy matchup once they get into the second round because they're going to have to face the Golden State Warriors who are absolutely rolling right now. They just finished off Denver last night. Um, you know, Denver just didn't have any weapons outside of the Joker. You know, there was no Murray. There was no Porter. Gordon couldn't do much. Barton couldn't do much. Morris couldn't do much. Credit to Boogie Cousins, though. Nearly 20 points off the bench. You know, keeping that thing close, but... It's just, to me, Steph Curry and Golden State are starting to click on all cylinders. Just the way they've constructed their new death lineup with uh, Draymond Green being the center, and then you put on their Wiggins, Thompson, Curry, and Jordan Poole. You know, I think when you need points, that's the lineup you're going to go to. But I think defense is going to be the one kryptonite that uh, the Warriors are going to have. You know, especially with Andre Iguodala also being out with a neck injury. You know, we've seen it for years and to come now with this uh, new Warriors dynasty is that the lack of size uh, prohibits so much. So if you can attack the paint with a big guy, you know, if you're a team like a Minnesota or a Memphis who might have to play him in the second round, if you attack him inside, you're going to have a big advantage. But if you ask me, I think the Warriors have played the best so far in the postseason, just the way they've been able to, you know, just basically take over games offensively. You have, you know, when Curry's off, you put Jordan Poole in there. When Poole's off, you get Clay Thompson. When Thompson's off, Curry's got a good game. So, especially with Curry not having uh, minutes restriction anymore, I think that's going to help greatly. Um, but I like how the Warriors have played. And honestly, I like them coming out of the Western Conference uh, at this moment. Obviously, things could change if Phoenix plays a little better and Memphis plays a little better. Um I like uh, I like what Golden State has done. I like them coming out of the Western Conference, uh, if you ask me today. If you ask me in a week, things might change, especially, you know, with the Dallas Mavericks playing as well. I've sung their praises, but here they are now, up 3-2 on Utah, uh, looking to close it out tonight. You know, you see Luka Doncic being healthy and effective. He's not on a minutes restriction. He got 33-13 and 13 in that blowout game five. Um, but I think all credit is to Dallas for really taking over the series, I would say starting in game two. I mean, you got Jalen Brunson, who's going to be in line for a big payday, which the Mavericks hopefully should sign on him. I mean, so far in this series, he's averaged over 28 and a half points per game, and he's shooting 47% from the field. I mean, you give Luka Doncic a weapon like that, you throw on Spencer Dinwiddie off the bench, Dorian Finney-Smith, who's a great outside shooter. I mean, this, this is a great Mavericks team, and Honestly, if they get to the second round, I would not be surprised if they challenge uh, Phoenix or New Orleans in that uh, semifinal matchup just because of how well they have been playing. But for Utah, thank goodness for Donovan Mitchell and that he will play in game six. Obviously, he left with that hamstring injury, but I don't know how much of a difference it's going to play because, you know, if Mitchell's not in the lineup, they're done. They're absolutely done. If he's in the lineup, I'll give them maybe like a 40% chance to extend this series and get in there. Just because, again, Utah just does not look like the same team. And I don't know what's going on with Mitchell, how he's disappeared uh, in these big time sort of things. Um, Rudy Gobert isn't as effective down low as the center as we initially thought. Um, I don't know what's going on with Utah, but well, I, I do like Dallas to come out of the series. Um it's still to me, to me, 
um, Utah has no chance, you know, even if Mitchell plays or not. But this has been kind of an overlooked series just because it's a four or five and there's been more compelling series. But I think with a healthy Luka Doncic, this team can go a long way. Dallas can. And if they don't go a long way this year, I think they're going to be big contenders uh, for years to come. But obviously the playoffs are the most exciting time in the NBA season. And I'm really looking forward to what happens in the semifinals of the playoffs that kick off this weekend. about the month of April you got to talk about the draft the NH, uh, NFL draft excuse me kicks off tonight we got round one tonight tomorrow night's round two and three and then in the weekend it'll be four through seven which no one really listens to anyway um, but to talk about this year's draft I mean honestly there's not a ton of buzz you know as compared to previous years and I think part of that is just like there's no standout talent that everyone uh, is looking at and saying, oh, that's the guy, that's the guy. Someone's got to get that guy. You know, these players could still be great, but in terms of just like hype and buzz or any kind of like big storylines or whatever, I'm not really seeing it. You know, not to say this draft isn't going to be good, but it's like there's no one player where you say they're head and shoulders above everybody. And then, you know, when you compare it to last year, you have, you know, the storylines of, you know, the multiple quarterbacks, or you have got a team like um, the 49ers or the Bears who are trading up to get picks, um, or you have teams that are trading back, you know, there's nothing really like that. And it, it seems like, you know, most positions are filled out. Obviously, there's been a ton of movement, you know, in free agency and trades, obviously big names moving. So I think part of that, is uh, the reason for that, you know, there's a team, you know, there are a bunch of teams that need uh, needs, but there's no like, you know, standout need for a contender uh, that anyone's really talking about. So that's why I think everything's kind of been sort of died down a little bit with this year's draft. Um, but I still think it's going to be a good draft. Um, obviously, you have the Jaguars picking number one and then the Lions picking at number two. There are a, a lot of mock drafts and predictions are saying that it's either going to be Trayvon Walker or Aiden Hutchinson at the defensive end position. And ultimately, I do think they're going to go defense uh, at number one, just because the offense, I think, is set for a couple of years. Obviously, you got Trevor Lawrence, and then you've got a bunch of great running backs like James Robinson. Travis Etienne is going to come back. Uh, the team picked up a couple wide receivers uh, and a tight end, Evan Ingram. Um, so the offense is set. Now the, the problem to address is defensively, you know, they probably are going to need, you know, they got to fix that defensive line and they got to get a corner. They got to get a cornerback position, someone who can eventually mold into maybe like a number one kind of guy that you can put on any top wide receivers. But as I said, it's either Trayvon Walker from Georgia, Aiden Hutchinson uh, from Michigan, my theory is that whoever the Jaguars don't take is probably what the Lions are going to take at number two, just because I think Detroit's kind of in the same spot. I mean, they played well offensively um, at the end of the regular season. They had a big game uh, knocking off the Cardinals at one point. I mean, you could go for Jared Goff for another year, but you've got a bunch of great uh, building blocks like DeAndre Swift. Uh, Amonra St. Brown played incredible last year, especially for me on my fantasy team, which helped uh, for a victory. Um, TJ Hawkinson at the tight end position. So I think, you know, the top two teams are looking for defense, 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 and they're probably going to go on the defensive line. Um, but a couple of other things to look out for, you know, I, I think, like I said about not having buzz, I think the quarterback position is a little lacking for this year. There's, you know, compared to previous years, there would have been, you know, look at last year, you had uh, five quarterbacks picked in the top 15, you know, with um, and then you had, you know, maybe the a year ago or the year before that you had maybe, you know, three or four quarterbacks picked in the first round this year. You could really only say that two quarterbacks stand out and could be picked in the first round. That's Malik Willis and Kenny Pickett. And, um, you know, they are the two standouts, but they also have their flaws. You know, you have talks about Malik Willis, who's played at Liberty. 
and you know he hasn't really been on a big stage and then you've got Kenny Pickett uh from Pitt you know everyone's talking about his smaller than average hands um so I think that's it I think you also have most teams that have figured out their quarterback plans with only a few teams that still have their needs you know the Panthers the Browns um you know the Panthers are we're waiting to see if they commit to Sam Darnold the Browns have an opportunity to trade Baker Mayfield yeah, the Steelers, the Falcons, the Saints, they all have quarterback needs. So, you know, that's that's another storyline right there is, you know, there could be a ton of trade. You can see a lot of teams move forward, a lot of teams move back. You have a bunch of trade pieces. Like I said, Baker Mayfield is out there. Uh, just to name uh, a few, just to name one piece that could be out there and could be part of it. Debo Samuel as well that we talked about last week. That can be a big draft day trade as well from San Francisco. So I think that's another storyline right there is how much movement is there going to be, especially when you have teams with multiple first round picks, you know, you have the jets with two in the top 10 you've got, uh, I think it's the Eagles and the saints have like, you know, the next four picks combined with the two of them from like 15 to 18 or something like that. Um, so there could be a lot of movement. There could be a lot of movement. Teams can move out of the draft teams can move into the draft and maybe go for a guy you know like a Jamison Williams at the wide receiver position which has been another storyline within itself is I think wide receiver probably has the most depth in the draft this year as compared to previous years I mean you look at guys like Garrett Wilson who's probably the top prospect um, you know projections have him going in the top 10 uh, from Ohio State you got Chris Olave also from the Ohio State got Traylon Burks. Um, but I think, you know, the most interesting name is Jamison Williams because you take away that ACL injury, that torn ACL, he's the top wide receiver in the, in the draft. You know, you could where, where Garrett Wilson is right now, Jamison Williams could probably be in that spot, but then, you know, you got people saying, Oh, he could go at 13 or he could go all the way at 21, you know, and fall to the Patriots or something like that. But you see a ton of teams who might want to uh, trade into the draft to get someone like that, you know, maybe like a Kansas city or a green Bay or a new Orleans that has, you know, needs at the wide receiver position or new England that I just mentioned, you know, a lot of teams could use it. Um, or there are those teams that see all the depth at the wide receiver position, just kind of stay where they are and think, Oh, this guy is going to be better uh, for our team. So I'm really interested to see what happens at that position. Um, and then finally, the cornerback position. You know, we're hearing a lot about uh, Sauce Gardner and Daryl Stingley. Um, so, again, similar to the wide receiver position, you know, those same teams probably have cornerback needs. Do they trade in uh, to the first round or do they wait until round two, round three to get their guy? I don't know. I don't know what is going to happen with this draft. And I think that's what makes the draft so exciting is that, it's very unpredictable. You have no idea what's going to happen. And regardless of how much buzz or lack of buzz there is for this year's draft, you know that you want to tune in because you don't know what's going to happen. So I'm very much looking forward to the draft and looking forward to next week talking about uh, all the picks that have been made and what teams did or didn't get themselves in the best spot. as i said the month of april is usually a very active time in the sports world and as i said we got big headlines but we got minor headlines as well there's a lot of stuff we got to dive into so let's get right back into this week's edition of quick hits <laughs> and we start in the nhl uh not necessarily with the playoffs to the end of the regular season but a little bit of injury news uh with alex ovechkin a guy who rarely misses time rarely has injuries he had to miss uh tuesday's game and is probably gonna miss the rest of the regular season and we're hearing reports that status for the first round is unclear and that you know, you know something's really wrong when Alex Ovechkin is not playing in the lineup. Um, you know, when you look at it on 
the side of things. I don't really see the Capitals going far anyway, but it, it's kind of similar to uh, Donovan Mitchell and the Jazz that I talked about earlier. With Ovechkin on the ice and in the in the line chart, uh, the Capitals have a chance. Not in the lineup, they're done. Because, I mean, look at what Ovi's done at age 36. 50 goals. 50 goals on the year. You know who's the next closest? Tom Wilson and uh, Kuznetsov with 24. 24. So Ovi has obviously been the best player for the Capitals this year. And right now they're sitting in the final wildcard spot uh, with all sights set probably on the Florida Panthers as a first-round matchup because I don't know if they're going to catch the Bruins uh, to leapfrog it or even play the Hurricanes. So I think something to watch out for uh, is Alex Ovechkin. How healthy is he? Because the Capitals are going to go nowhere if he's not on the ice. In baseball, the big story has been with the New York Mets. Not necessarily what they've done on the field, but the fact is they've continued to be hit by pitches. And uh, we've seen so far uh, the Mets have been hit 18 times in 19 games uh, with, you know, I hate to see it, but multiple uh, shots to the head, you know, intentional or not. We've seen Pete Alonso take a few. Um, I think Lindor maybe had one. And obviously it, it carried over. Um, you know, we're seeing it in the post game with Chris Bassett and we saw it uh, yesterday with uh, the little uh, bench clearing uh, skirmish that we saw uh, against the St. Louis Cardinals. I mean, first to talk about what Bassett said, Bassett has blamed the baseball and the MLB for the problems of guys getting hit. Um, he's saying that the baseballs are are different from inning to inning, not, not game to game, inning to inning. And he said, quote, that the MLB doesn't care and that they don't give a damn about it. Now, let's be honest. MLB is the biggest joke of an organization with, with Rob Manfred and all that. They have taken so long to get with the modern day of baseball and or get to just modern day where you're seeing, um, you're not seeing, you're, they need to speed up the game. And it took until, you know, 2022 to say, oh, we maybe should speed up the game implementing a pitch clock and stuff like that. Um, so it does not surprise me that the MLB is having this problem. And the reason why, you know, maybe this is a, a reality check to them because this is about safety. It's not necessarily about product. This is about safety. The fact that guys are getting hit more and more, especially in the head and with concussions being at the forefront of sports medicine, sports injury, uh, stuff like that. Um, this is really something the MLB needs to look at. And if they don't do anything about it, if they don't, you know, make this change, then they're going to be laughable. You know, this is an organization that's trying to get a younger audience. And the fact that you're putting players in danger or putting pitchers in danger is really, really, uh, it's, it's a highway that you're walking on right now if you're the MLB. Um, but as I said, it led to the benches clearing brawl. Nolan Arenado had to duck away from a high delivery. I mean, you got a Cardinals coach dragging Pete Alonzo to the ground. Um, so I think it all has to do with these baseballs, what Chris Bassett has said. And plus, I'll take the word on it. I mean, he's the pitcher. He's holding on to that ball. He knows what it's like. And I think these new baseballs are going to be this year's uh, sticky substance, you know, like last year was with the spider tack and the goop and stuff like that. I think this year is going to be about the baseball. Back to basketball really quickly. You know, when Kevin Durant's not on the court playing and he doesn't have anything to worry about, he's got his burner accounts going on social media. And once again, he demonstrates himself as being completely soft by calling out Charles Barkley for his comments about being a leader and getting swept by the Boston Celtics. Of course, if you go back to uh, his Instagram, he posted stories after Barkley had said uh, comments about being a leader. Um, and he said, it's different when you're driving the bus. What did Kevin Durant do on his Instagram? He posts photos of Charles Barkley uh, on old Rockets and Sixers team. You know, these were teams where he was playing with, I think he had Akeem uh, and Moses Malone. And honestly, like, what are you doing? What are you doing, Kevin Durant? Seriously. And thank goodness the NBA on TNT got back at him. They, their social media team, um, <laughs> 
Even Durant responded to uh, one Twitter user saying, oh, you posted this in the morning. Now uh, there are so many uh, great editors that will um, <clears throat> get back at you. And Durant said, huh, just another day. And what is, what is it they do? What does the NBA on TNT do? They recreate that scene on The Office. Um, and it was just really funny. Just go check it out. Uh, NBA on TNT, either on Twitter or on Instagram. But again, he's once again demonstrating himself as the softest athlete in sports. The fact that he has such thin skin that if anyone says anything bad about him, he's going to clap back. And obviously, it's one thing for someone to say, you know, oh, I'm proving my haters wrong. But the fact that you're like vividly, I don't, I don't know what he's doing, but vividly looking at social media, seeing if anyone's got their name in his mouth and he's going to clap back. I mean, it's it's kind of a shame to see Durant kind of take this route. I mean, you just got swept. You just got swept out of the playoffs. Maybe put your phone on silent and worry about yourself. Sticking with basketball really quickly, we're only a few... Uh, weeks away from the WNBA season getting underway. I should say a few days, a few weeks. And, uh, of course, one of the stories has been uh, the veterans who are sticking around. Sue Bird is back, uh, who just turned 41, 42. And Diana Taurasi, uh, who's going to turn 40 in June while playing in her, I think, 19th season with the Phoenix Mercury. And in a recent interview, Taurasi recently said, that she's not even thinking about retirement right now. You know, even though she's turning 40, she thinks that she's going to play. You know, she's taking the Tom Brady approach. She's she's going to play until she sucks. And it's kind of fascinating to see, you know, football and basketball are one of those longevity sports. I More so in the WNBA, I think, because, like I said, you see uh, Lisa Leslie had a long career. Tarasi's still playing. Sue Bird's still playing. You know, she's three-time WNBA champion. There's nothing more for her to prove, but um, she's back. She's continuing to play. Um, you know, credit to Diane Taurasi. She's a first ballot Hall of Famer. You know, she's got an Olympic gold medal. She's got a national championship. She's got multiple NBA championships and a championship MVP to go on with that. Um, so, you know, whatever Diane Taurasi wants to do, hey, whatever you want. You know, I won't argue with one of the best women's basketball players that the game has ever seen. And finally, we end it on golf. And Phil Mickelson, who has been at the center of controversy for months now. And what we're seeing now from this past week is that he's inching closer towards a return to golf. We've seen that he's registered for the PGA Championship and the U.S. Open, both of which are taking place in June. And not only that, but he also is requesting his release from the PGA Tour to play in the Saudi Golf League's first event, which will take place, I think, in the first or second week of June. I think it was June 8th I saw was the uh, first tournament date. And honestly, to me, this is just Phil kind of keeping his options open, hoping someone's going to say, you know, does someone want to take me? Somebody? Anybody? Because let's be honest, he burned a lot of bridges. He burned a lot of bridges with uh, the interview talking about uh, the Saudis and then talking about the PGA Tour in general. So I don't know how he's going to be returned. And, you know, ultimately, I do think it was a smart thing for him to kind of step away <clears throat> from the golf, uh, from the PGA Tour, just to kind of do some reflecting. You know, maybe he comes back and has like a press conference and has like a prepared statement saying like my words were completely and utterly ridiculous because ultimately i don't know if the pga or the golf world in general are going to forgive him if he does come back um i don't know what's going to happen with lefty but again it's kind of it's just him keeping his options open you know hoping someone will forgive him um and hopefully he won't be affected once he eventually gets back to uh, playing the game of golf. Uh, we'll have to see what happens to uh, Phil when the time comes. They're still a month away before those tournaments. And that is a wrap-up on, once again, Quick Hits.
Now, as always, the part of the show where we get into the city of Boston and talk about our teams. It's time for our Let's Get Local segment of the week. And the buzz in the city has been all about the Celtics finishing off the Nets in four games. Now, they weren't easy games. I mean, the total win margin was a combined 18 points. So it wasn't an easy sweep. It wasn't an easy sweep, but obviously everyone around uh, the city and in the state, or if you're a Celtics fan in general, has been absolutely raving over sweeping the defending champs over the guy who Celtics fans thought betrayed him and Kyrie Irving taking out one of the top players in the league and Kevin Durant. Um, It's just been, you know, if you're a Celtics fan, it's been a good couple of days, just soaking in, soaking in that next, that Nets victory. And talking about the series uh, in general, I think this team is going to benefit greatly, you know, having so many gritty games like this. I mean, it was essentially four games that went all the way down to the wire. You had the game one buzzer beater. You had the game two comeback when you were down like 17 points. Uh, Game three, you had to sweat it out till the end. And then game four, when uh, Jason Tatum fouled out, you had to win it in those uh, last three minutes. Um, I think he's going to help this team go on a uh, substantial run. And I've just been kind of reflecting, you know, compared to last year versus this year, because again, it was the second straight year that the Celtics and the Nets played in the first round, but just with the roles reversed. Last year, the Celtics were the seven and the Nets were the two. This year, the Nets are the seven and the Celtics are a two. And just looking at what the Celtics did in that series compared to this series, you know, it's no longer stagnant isolation ball 24-7. It's no longer, you know, essentially what the Nets did in this series is kind of what the Celtics were doing last season, just kind of putting it in the hands of Jason Tatum and hoping he can do, do some things. Now, obviously, the roster for Boston was much different last year as compared to this year. A lot of turnover, including coach and management. Um, and obviously Jalen Brown didn't play in that series. Um, but just seeing players other than Jason Tatum that can lead an offense is a big confidence boost, big confidence boost. Cause you know, when Tatum fouled out of that game, which by the way, that six foul was absolutely horrendous and the officiating in that game in general wasn't very good. Um, but to see, Other guys come through, like Marcus Smart lead the charge. Jalen Brown come through. Al Horford with that big putback. I mean, seeing players other than Jason Tatum. Obviously, you'd rather have Tatum on the floor than off the floor. But when you have situations like this where he's not there, I mean, full credit to the Celtics supporting cast. I'm very impressed with the performances of a lot of guys. You know, Marcus Smart averaged 16 and a half and seven assists. Al Horford shot 60% from three and uh, averaged 13 points. But Grant Williams, man, what a two-way player he's become. He had great defense on Durant. He also shot 58% from the field, 50% from three, averaged 11 points, and it's just become all reliable from uh, beyond the arc. I'm very, very impressed uh, to see what the supporting cast has done, especially, you know, there was part of me that was skeptical that Daniel Tice could play the role of Robert Williams defensively. And look what he did. He he managed to be the best big man compared to the Brooklyn Nets big man. And then when Robert Williams came back, the fact that he was effective and he wasn't having any kind of setbacks, I think is absolutely huge. And I think it's the depth of this team that's really going to help. You know, not only having this sort of gritty series against Brooklyn, but the fact is, Um, When they have all these kind of pieces, you know, you could go all the way to the number nine spot when you're playing Peyton Pritchard. They've all got strengths, you know, Derek White off the bench, you know, now Robert Williams is going to get some more minutes. You know, I don't think when this team is fully healthy, the defense shouldn't be anything that's worried about that's uh, to be worried about because you've got these extra days, you know, you finish the series on Monday, your first game against the Bucks in round two is Sunday. You get a full six days. Six days to rest. Uh, you get Robert Williams healthier. Horford's going to be rested. Jalen Brown can nurse his hamstring, uh, which, you know, we saw at the end of the game that he was grabbing at. Um, just, I, I think this is huge. It's a huge victory uh, to finish off the Nets the way they did. I know it was only four games, but they weren't easy games. They were tough out games. Really, the only thing I could see is just those extra days of rest. It's a weird schedule, you know, not only the five days of rest, but 
you know, you play game one Sunday against Milwaukee, then game two is Tuesday, and then game three isn't until Saturday. I, I'm not sure what the logic is from that. Not really sure what the NBA is doing for that. You know, that's the only thing I see, just because this could be a really streaky team if they have a few days off. Might take them a little bit of time to uh, get re-energized, I guess. But I think it's going to be a great series with uh, Milwaukee. Like I said, I think this goes a long way. I think it's a six or seven game series. And like I said, you know, the defense, you know they can lock down everyone else. But Giannis is a whole totally different guy as compared to Kevin Durant. You know, Giannis is, an, is a head first, attack the basket. You know, it's been very hard to see anybody really try and shut him down or at least, you know, limit him, you know? So I think Giannis is going to have to uh, play better from the outside of the floor, probably make a few more shots, um, obviously make his free throws, which he's gotten much better at. Um, But the Celtics defensive strategy, I think is just going to be throwing different things at him. I think it's going to be throwing different bodies. You know, it's, it's not going to be a Grant Williams all the time. You know, you rotate from both Williams, you throw Horford, Tatum, Tice, um, Brown, you know, smart, you know, just throwing different looks at him, I think is going to be really, really crucial. Um, and then just, you know, you can give him space as compared to Durant. Once Durant got the ball, you saw those defenders right up at him, you know, contesting everything. Um, I think with this, uh, with this team, with the Bucks, I think recovery defense is going to be huge because you know there's going to be a double team whenever Giannis is driving into the paint, you know, that's going to happen. And then he's going to kick it out to his shooters. You know, all the names I mentioned in our first segment, Um, how well does the defense recover onto them? And are they going to be able to contest and uh, limit the outside shooting that the bucks have? Cause they're a good shooting team, even without uh, Chris Middleton in the lineup, they've still got a bunch of great weapons uh, beyond the arc. Even their center, Brooke Lopez can go out, and shoot the three. So I don't know if that's going to really affect them as much, but I think it's going to be a real entertaining series. I have confidence that they can get out of the series. I don't know if they will. Um, but you know, again, these are the defending champs, the Milwaukee bucks. So even if you go out, there's still a lot of good things to take away from this team, but going from a different end of the spectrum, you got a team riding high, like the Celtics to a team that's been a little bit low, in the Red Sox and they continue to struggle uh, as they are currently in Toronto. They're playing the Blue Jays and they're sitting at a record of eight and 11. Now they broke their four game losing streak last night with a big seven to one victory. I thought that was a great game, Um, but for the Red Sox in general, and again, I only say this in the present tense, you know, things can be different once we hit July, August, September, something like that. But just talking about what we have seen in the first 19 games of the season. The problem I'm seeing is inconsistencies. There are inconsistencies aplenty with this ball club. I mean, first off, you start with Alex Cora, who's been away from the team for about a week. I mean, luckily he was able to come back during this Toronto series, but he tested positive for COVID and he wasn't uh, down there against Tampa. He wasn't uh, there against uh, Toronto at some point. And uh, Will Venable just... I'm not going to say he did a poor job, but there were just some decisions I thought he could have done a lot better. Um, But then you have uh, just the lineup continues to just not be performing the way they are. I mean, Story, Dahlbeck, Vasquez, Bradley, Kike, they're all hitting under 250. Um, And meanwhile, you got Bogarts, who's hot, which is a good thing. Um, You got JD, who's hitting it well, but he's you know, he's getting up there in age. So he's got a lot of injuries and uh, soreness and stuff like that. Um, And Verdugo, you know, like I mentioned last week, they're hitting well, but other than that, you know, the rest of the offense, even going to uh, the bench side of things, you know, Shaw isn't hitting well, Plawecki isn't hitting well, just no one in general has been uh, performing the way we saw a year ago. And it's kind of like what we saw, um, in the last couple of games of the Houston series in the ALCS, it's kind of carrying over because uh, you have basically the same guys, but no one's hitting well. And we saw that in the Houston series is that no one has been hitting well. Um, you know, throw on a bullpen that can't hold on leads. You're essentially in, in a in a pinch. 
you, you can't do anything. I mean, this is a team that can't score more than five runs uh, in a game. You got a bullpen uh, who can't hold on to leads like Strom and Danish allowing the eighth inning grand slam on Monday. You got Jake Diekman blowing the five, two lead in the ninth on Tuesday. I mean, I don't, I don't know exactly what the, the solution is because I do think eventually some of these guys are going to turn things around. I expect Kike to get out of his funk Story's going to get a little bit more uh, comfortable basically because he didn't really have a spring training, obviously with the lockout. Um, but I think, I think the one thing that Alex Cora could do is trusting his starters a little bit more just because the bullpen is so lacking. I mean, you might need to flip-flop Tanner Houck and Garrett Whitlock because Whitlock has been arguably your best pitcher so far. You got Whitlock in there. You throw Nathan Avaldi in there, which, by the way, he should have stayed in the game longer. I don't know why Will Venable pulled him after seven. Um, but, you know, Waka pitched great. I should also mention Michael Waka. He pitched well. That was a good acquisition. But outside of that, the rest of the pitchers that you have are not very good right now. And I don't know how much longer you can hold out until Chris Sale comes back or if you're waiting for another guy like Cutter Crawford to uh, hopefully fix things or James Paxton to get better. I don't know how much you're holding on that, but I think just, you know, part of the struggles has to do with Heim Bloom and the kind of decisions that he's been making, you know, not committing to Nathan Evaldi for long-term, not signing Devers or Bogarts to extensions. I mean, part of it is just the construction of the roster that Heimblum has set up. He didn't go get another bullpen arm. He said he went to the bargain bin, looked at the last guy on the list or at the bottom of the bin and said, hey, this is the guy that we can use. And right now he's paying for it. You know, there are only a handful of times that this bullpen can have good stretches. You know, Hansel Robles is having a great stretch of games. I think he's gone, what, like 20 innings dating back to last year without giving up a run. So credit to him. But other than that, there's not really anything else that Bloom has done to this team. And I don't know if he's waiting for that farm system, if he's waiting for Tristan Cassis to come on up, or if he's waiting for Jeter Downs. I don't know what he's doing, but the way he constructed his roster makes a lot of Sox fans think it's time to just throw away 2022, and it's already April, and we're about to turn into May. So let's not hit the panic button just yet. But just in the immediate future, it's not looking good for the Red Sox the way they've played but it is looking good for the Boston Bruins the way uh, they have played the past couple of games. They're currently on a three-game winning streak. They've won five of their last six games, and they're wrapping up the regular season uh, starting tonight with a back-to-back. They're going to host Buffalo in the last home game of the regular season. Then they travel to Toronto to take on the Maple Leafs. And right now, the way the standings are look looking, it's going to take a miracle to get in that three spot. You know, like I said, to leapfrog uh, Tampa Bay, you got to hope that Tampa drops their next two games, which it's looking like it's not going to be because they got to play the Islanders and the Blue Jackets. Um, And then uh, you got to win these two games. So it's really going to take a miracle for the Bruins to leapfrog the lightning. You know, they got to win these two games. Tampa's got to lose their two games. But ultimately, let's just call it like it is. They're going to be in that first wild card spot. They're going to play the Carolina Hurricanes uh, in the first round. But before we get into that, just seeing all the injury or the guys with injuries come back into the lineup. Look at the difference in energy. When you see David Pasternak back into the lineup and uh, Hampus Lindholm back into the ice and Linus Allmark back in between the pipes at nets. I mean, look at what pasta has done in his first two games back four points, uh, which is a goal and three assists. And he's a plus three rating in two games back from that injuries. I mean, there is still some concerns about, you know, letting the Canadians, a team that is the worst in the East, come back. You know, you had a three-goal lead on them. You let them come back, get them within one, and then eventually you got the empty netter. You know, that does leave some concern. It raises some concerns uh, with the way Bruce Cassidy is kind of coaching his guys. Um, But... I I do think there is a chance, not going to say it's going to happen, but there's a chance that this team can get out of the first round, you know, playing a team like the hurricanes, you know, we've seen uh, in recent history with Carolina, that defense uh, is usually a struggle for them. Um, We know they can score the puck and we know the Bruins sometimes have a really hard time. They have a couple of lulls, you know, they usually have a second period where they're just giving it up or they have poor starts. So if they limit those, 
and they just continue to put the puck in the net, then there's a chance you can get past Carolina. You know, if you ask me, I wouldn't like their chances going against Carolina, but I mean, you've got guys like uh, you got good defenders like Carlo and Lindholm who are now back and healthy uh, pasta pasta knock. Um, this, this is a team you got to remember when they had that line shift change and they, uh, they broke up that perfection line. It got that much better. The team got that much better. And uh, then once they hit a wall it was because they had so many injuries and, you know, Pasternak obviously is the big factor in that, but you've got great goaltenders who seem to feed off of each other. You know, Swayman's gotten better and Allmark has gotten better. Who's going to be your go-to guy when it comes to playoff time. I'm not a hundred percent sure. I'd probably put my money on Linus right now, Linus Allmark to be that goaltender when it comes to game one or whatever, but they could be split in time. You know, you never know what Bruce Cassidy will be able to do, but we'll see what the Bruins can do once uh, they end the regular season and get into the postseason. And for the city of Boston, we know that playoff time means the energy is substantially going to pick up. as always to wrap up our show it's our lol moment of the week and sticking with the nfl draft theme that we have for this week this week's moment is going to someone who made headlines a couple years ago uh with a little gaffe uh during draft day and now he's trying to turn it into a profit so without any further ado this week's lol moment of the week is going to Laramie Tunsil, the offensive tackle for the Houston Texans. Now, for those of you that uh, do not remember, Laramie Tunsil was a consensus top five pick uh, at the offensive tackle position back in 2016, I want to say. Um, there were some were saying that he could even go number one. But what does he do uh, on the, during uh, the day of the draft on day one? He decides to post on Twitter a photo of him in a gas mask smoking a bomb. And that made him fall outside the top 10. He eventually went number 13 to Miami, but now he's on Houston. Um, Why does this matter? Because it turns out Tunsil is turning that gas mask bong video into an NFT. He's trying to make a profit off of his gaffed on draft day. I mean, that's not a moment I would say you'd want to promote because honestly, you know, for anyone who's, at least for me, when you hear the name Laramie Tunsil, you think of what happened on draft day when uh, that uh, bong video in the gas mask got, uh, got posted on the Twitter. And obviously you hear his agent and himself saying, oh, my Twitter was hacked. My Twitter was hacked. Yeah, that's what everyone says whenever some, something bad goes out. His Twitter was definitely hacked. Um you know, and he's sticking by it. You know, he, he said it, you know, he's going to stick by, you know, his Twitter was hacked and uh, someone released it or whatever. Um, but I don't know if that's a moment you really want to have uh, living on for, for a long time. I know I'd rather be shown for what I did on the field or on the court rather than for what I did um, or how much of a bozo I was for posting uh a bong video on the most important day of my professional career. Um, I don't think I would want that in my memory banks, you know, that's why it's an NFT, I guess, because it's not going to be a uh, long lasting hopefully. And uh, because uh, crypto, I think in my eyes is going to fall apart. Eventually it might not be, uh, might not be immediately, but you know, throughout uh, multiple years, it, it could be something that, um, falls apart or it could you know go right into success um but for for tunsil to want to you know commemorate that moment that happened six years ago i mean again this is something you know it's like it's like someone who um take jr smith for example when he had that uh that gaffe in the nba finals in 2018 he missed the free throw he got the rebound but he dribbled it out that's like saying um 
you know, I want to uh, put this video out into the world and I want it on a billboard in the middle of New York City so everyone can see it. That's something I, I would not want that. I would not want that at all. I don't want someone remembering me for that. I'd rather be, if I was Tunsil, I'd rather be remembered as a strong offensive tackle who's currently playing for the Houston Texans and is a reason why the Texans will slowly and surely get back into contender status, which is probably going to be 10 years away the way the Texans manage that uh, organization. So Laramie Tunsil for turning your biggest gaffe of your career into an NFT, you have landed yourself into this week's LOL moment of the week. So that wraps it up once again for another edition of Let Me Speak. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in wherever you are getting this podcast. If you're listening to us on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or watching us on YouTube, make sure, as always, you are following our social media pages on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. All you got to do is search Let Me Speak Podcast. And remember, as always, if you got a point you got to get across, just let the whole world know. Shut up and let me speak.